Welcome to the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode 56. I'm your host, Brian Eastridge. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com podcast network. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast. We take topics relevant to today's gun owners and we tackle them from the perspective of concealed carriers and law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I'm going to be joined by Steve Moses from uh, CCW Safe and FTA. Uh, we're going to talk about what cops know about managing incidents in transitional areas. That's kind of wordy way of uh, saying managing an incident uh, in an area that you maybe don't want to. So uh, we're going to bring Steve on here in a few minutes. But first, this episode's brought to you by Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. High vis sights for your uh, shotgun rifle, pistol, tritium, and photoluminescent technology. Check them out at excesssites.com. Tell them I sent you. Get yourself a set of F8s for your favorite uh, G Lock. Also brought to you by CCW Safe, legal service membership for concealed carriers and LEOs, the most comprehensive coverage by the most experienced team. If you would like a little uh, break on your membership, whichever membership you decide is uh, appropriate for your lifestyle, uh, you can enter code OFFDUTY10 at checkout, and that'll get you 10% off your membership. EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt, the most comfortable functional concealed carry belt on the market. Thank you, everyone that bought one at the Guardian Conference. That was our first at-bat with point of sale. And uh, went really great, and hope you got to check out all the colors and stuff that maybe aren't available out there in internet land, and and uh, thanks for all your support. Check out the coffee that we had from Battleborn Coffee Roasters, great stuff. Hooked us up and allowed us to save the coffee booth at the uh, conference there, so uh, if you had coffee there, you know, thanks EDC Belt Company and uh, <laughs> Battleborn Coffee Roasters. And the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Last week's winner, Brian, won a, I think it's a box of dummy ammo. Let me look that up for sure. Uh, Yeah, he won a package of dummy ammo. And uh, you got to sign up weekly. And also, uh, they're giving away a barrel block next week and you got to sign up every week to be eligible for that drawing and uh matthew marister does the drawing and he'll get a hold of you if you've entered now the brian that won the dummy ammo was not me so you know everybody can calm down a little bit i got plenty of it so let's bring in our guest all right welcome back steve it's been a long uh a long time since you've been on and uh I'm kind of recapping the Guardian Conference uh, with some of the guests that taught there. That's kind of been my my push this month for those listeners out there that didn't make it and uh, kind of what they missed out on. I'm kind of you know trying to rub it in a little bit. No, there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm completely kidding. But uh, but your class intrigued me um, quite a bit, and unfortunately, I didn't get to spend as much time observing and or participating because I had, you know, my own irons in the fire there. So 
Uh, I believe you were working your butt off, if I recall. <laughs> I was a little threadbare by that by the last day, but that's okay. It was a great time. Tell me the name of your class. Okay, it, the actual name of the class was managing don't shoot shoot encounters in transitional areas. So, what do you consider a transitional area? Kind of outline that. Well, during the class, I gave the example of someone that perhaps lived in an apartment complex. Okay. So uh, if they decided to go about their day, as soon as they left the interior of the apartment complex and went down the stairs onto the sidewalk, they were in a transitional area. Walking across the parking lot to their vehicle, they were in a transitional area. Driving to wherever their next stop was, they were driving on a street, they were in a transitional area. Stopped off at the Walmart, went in the parking lot, transitional area. Stopped off at the ATM, transitional area. Stopped off at the gas station, transitional area. Pulled their car into the parking lot, transitional area. Walked into the building, they were going to work, transitional area. Transitional area is basically any area from a, uh, I usually use the term like a home or something similar to that, to a final destination. And then from that destination back, anything within that area is a transitional area. And that's basically because people are normally transitioning from one area to another. And it's not unusual to see people in those transitional areas. Something outside the home where you're going from one task to another, something. The way I look at it. From driving to shopping. What I look at is transitional area is an area that's occupied by other people that may be doing the same thing. Okay. So as long as I'm in my home. I normally know everybody that's in my home or that might be coming to my home, or if I don't know, I quickly find out. In a transitional area, it is not uncommon to be around people whom I do not know and I do not know their motive. So that's what I consider to be a transitional area, and that's why being in a transitional area is far more risky simply because you don't know the, the, who those people are and perhaps what some of their intentions are. Yeah, that makes complete sense. What inspired you to do that? What inspired you to put that block together? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I am a, uh, God, I'm a longtime student of uh, Craig Douglas and uh, Cecil Birch, especially Craig Douglas. I think I go back. I, I, we were talking about that, and I believe the first my first experience was ECQC in 2004. And Craig, at that time, talked about the dangers of transitional areas, and I'm also uh, I'm a recent graduate of the uh, Range Master Master Farms Instructor course. Uh, I've been training under Tom since about 2000, actually maybe 1999. And Tom also goes into great depths uh, in terms of detail as to why transitional areas are one of the most dangerous places we can be. And that's actually where most encounters take place. Uh, a lot of what Craig has taught has been about persons that were basically an unknown contact that were using ruse in order to close the distance and get close enough to the the intended target. What I saw in 2020 and early 2021 was I was seeing people that were not using ruse. They were simply closing on other people and uh, they were inflicting violence on them for, you know, basically committing the crime of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'd seen so much uh, emphasis on managing unknown contacts that were using ruse to close that I decided we maybe needed to put together a class and 
talk about how we might manage those persons that aren't using any kind of ruse. They're simply closing on us. And by the way they're moving, uh, the intent is perceived to be that they intend uh, ill harm towards us. So a little more almost managing an overt contact. Somebody that's Aggressive, being a little more encroaching threat. Right. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. What are some considerations to take? Uh, I love, you know, our mutual friend, Wayne Dobbs, he says, uh, anywhere I've ever seen a, a shooting encounter is not someplace that I would ever go set up a target stand and practice. So <laughs> the, the, the main concern about transitional areas is we just can't manage that space. Uh, you see on the internet, a lot of people say that, oh, I can always manage space. I'm always very situationally aware. I'm dialed in. I don't really perceive myself to be a threat. Uh, that's almost impossible. You know, you think about any time that you're in a checkout line, you're in close proximity to other people. If you're in a restaurant and you're waiting to get in, same thing. If you're passing people in a mall parking lot, you just cannot always manage those areas. So we need to go ahead and really amp up our situational awareness as opposed to our general awareness, which means like, hey, I'm probably at a higher risk now. I really need to be kind of dialed in as to what's going on. And also understand if someone is intending ill will towards me in order to uh, complete that assault, there's basically four phases, which are see, choose, stalker, close, and attack. And so if I can take any action that could keep me from being seen, which is not necessarily possible in a transitional area, or chosen, which is possible, or if stalked, to create distance and disengage, or if attacked, do something that catches them by surprise. That is, I'm managing their expectations in a way that gives me a momentary advantage. Uh, I think that's a big benefit to concealed carriers. On the law enforcement side, we have to, I mean, we exist in a transitional area, right? I mean, that's that's our entire function. It kind of becomes a, a second nature that's kind of learned. Default. Yeah. Default. To really pay attention to those type of encounters as a an leo you you know you have the the benefit or the disadvantage however you look at it of having a, a uniform on and you know obviously with the backman utility belt you're capable or you give the impression to someone that you're capable of of uh persuading them to do a, other than maybe their intent but it's still the transitional area encounter is is where you live continually which is unique that you've kind of contextualized that into the the civilian perspective and i gotta throw out the i i swore i wouldn't ever use covid19 in a podcast but that was the best thing that happened with the whole covid19 pandemic was when people started standing six foot apart as a cop yes. that made me go huh when i'm off of work i don't it's like you have this like imaginary bubble and people were really hesitant to get in it Whereas prior to that, it was, you know, not uncommon to be elbow to elbow in the grocery store. And that's, especially as somebody armed, that always has made me nervous, cautiously, you know, a higher level of caution. And uh, when that all started happening, I was like, you know, it, people really show their intent when they start, you know, making a beeline towards you and they cross that personal space threshold. It just got a little more... Um, prevalent, I guess you would say. So, Yeah, one negative of uh, COVID, 
in that same regard is that a lot of people were using the uh, the wearing of a mask to basically, you know, disguise themselves and become more anonymous, just basically kind of blend into the herd. And it also seemed to, in many ways to kind of increase the courage levels of a lot of people that I believe would not have done what they were doing if they thought they could be easily identified. Oh, absolutely. And something that people, maybe they don't realize that they do this, it's kind of a you know, predator prey instinct is a lot of the information that your brain takes in on someone's intent comes from facial expression. Absolutely. So when you cover that now, it's and then wear sunglasses and then wear sunglasses. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> is this guy coming to shake my hand or take my wallet? You know? Yeah. That's, that's been a pretty interesting paradigm that that's kind of occurred you know, in the last year and a half with completely with you on the criminal offenders, ones that maybe were on the cusp of committing a violent act, you know, now having a disguise that they're mandated to wear kind of emboldened a lot of them. They're emboldened. I I believe that's, I believe that to be the case. Here's one that Hanny and I have been talking about. uh, Speaking of in the home and transitional areas, whether you're entering one or leaving one is, What's your thoughts on, is there cover or concealment in a home? And we've been kind of bouncing this one back and forth. Uh, There is very little cover in a home, in my opinion. And I really did not understand that until uh, I became a member of a special response team, uh, along with Hanny, uh, and went to SWAT school. And, uh, you know, a number of high risk entry courses, hostage rescue courses, et cetera. And all of a sudden I thought, oh, my gosh, there is actually very little in a home that stops bullets. So when you think about that from the perspective of being, you know, maybe a, a member of an entry team and then flip it around to being uh, basically a home defender then it really kind of changes your thinking on things and how you should position yourself within the home. Uh, I've participated with uh, Sean Vincent and Don West on several podcasts where we talked about what we believe to be the tactical advantage of uh, in the event that someone is trying to break into your house, basically getting into you know your safe room or your master bedroom, getting in a hard corner, setting up there, announcing your presence, and forcing that person to enter the room so you can get eyes on them before they get eyes on you. Uh, I always have seen that as a, you know, that's that, I think that's something that can change a change a fight. So in terms of uh, cover versus concealment within the home, in my opinion, there is very little cover within a home, and it's also very difficult to use whatever cover there actually is there. That one has kind of been at the forefront of my mind for a little while and i just wanted to kind of get your opinion on it because uh on the leo side you know where i work a lot of the houses are brick so you know you you have some modicum of of cover there but as soon as you enter the structure walls yeah as soon Mm -hmm. as you enter the structure but i've worked in areas that uh you know had turn of the century housing with siding and you know sheetrock that's about it and uh that's it there was (laughs) and that that tended to be the more violent areas uh, just because it was older you know older smaller homes built in the 20s and 30s that 
they were in areas that had a little little aptitude for the violent criminal but uh and they're in that's that's a consideration that you have to constantly make as an leo but i'd never really thought of it from the civilian perspective of somebody enters my domain like oh wait there's really what am I gonna hide behind? yeah what am i going to get behind that that is going to stop a bullet you know and so i kind of did a little assessment here and i went well there's like two things that'll stop a bullet in my house and uh neither one of them are in a place that i could hide behind them so it kind of changes you know, the uh, dynamic one thing, uh one thing that you know concealed carrier can do or armed homeowner is go ahead and if you do have a hard cover in a hard corner in your house you're saying that's going to be the place i'm going to go alamo up is basically put a bookcase on that wall and then fill that bookcase full of books and then get as much of your body behind that bookcase. You know, so basically you're kind of setting that up, but typically that's not something that just happens by chance. No, the the one wall I would do that in my home has a window there. So there's no bookcase going there, but, uh, and you know, the yeah, gun safe is in the closet. Big, that's been one of my criticisms of IDPA. And of course this comment is going to catch a lot of heat is that uh, many of the IDPA stages and I shoot IDPA because I, I think it's, you know, I, I think it's actually good training in terms of being able to run a gun, make decisions, uh, gun handling, etc. is that they'll have like about tw- 10 walls in a stage and say, okay, you have to use this as cover. And I'm like, going, dude, within a house, they're just, that's not cover. Uh, maybe we need to consider that to be concealment. And while concealment is still better than nothing, uh, the fact that, you know, most everything that's within your house that you think might be cover is just not, it will not stop incoming bullets. I I went through a, a train up with some guys that had trained with the FBI and we were doing kind of a ballistic, it wasn't necessarily a ballistic lab per se, like a formalized ballistic lab but we were shooting different forms of cover and uh, shockingly dual layer sheetrock, three quarter inch sheetrock with insulation, a pistol bullet would careen through that thing. Like it wasn't there. And some of the rifle ammo we had wouldn't on a, on a two, two, three, five, five, six, some of your uh, not necessarily frangible, but uh, some of your uh, more like defensive style loadings that weren't bonded. Uh, wouldn't even penetrate and i thought man that's so counterintuitive that if you had to make a shot maybe through some type of cover that you would transition off of a long gun to a handgun to do so so either that or go ahead and use you know bonded hollow points or soft right. points just like you were talking about right and uh but it was one of those considerations there again that i thought i oh, mean i've never even i've never even thought that that would become an uh a thing an issue you know so it is. It absolutely is. Along those lines, like when you're interacting with students, that's a lot to digest with. I mean, because I'm sure it involves some of managing unknown contacts or managing people's intent, plus managing shooting spaces or confrontational spaces. So elaborate on that a bit. Well, uh, once the students understand that the uh, attack phase is, you know, consists of four phases, you know, the see, the choose, the close, and then the attack. Like I said, you may not be able to do anything about the see, and in some instances, you can't do anything about the choose. So if you are stalked, that is an opportunity for you in order to interrupt that assault. And in many instances, all that needs to be done 
is you need to simply start moving just as soon as you see a pending threat. And for many people, the tendency is to stand there and let an encroaching person move on you, make a decision then as to what you're going to do. Or in some instances, you just simply don't know what to do. My opinion is that if someone is moving in on me and their intent looks questionable in any way, that is, I do not know them, then you need to immediately start moving. And you need to move as far away from them as you can, preferably as an angle. Uh, you want to be moving faster than they're moving so that if indeed their intent is bad, they will have to accelerate. That's kind of a clue. And in doing so, in a lot of instances, one, you can break the attack off, or two, you can give yourself an advantage. You can maintain space a little bit longer. And then if you have the skills, which you should have, then you're in a position where you can go ahead and deal with them. So the main thing is, is to pick an angle and start moving as quickly as you can. Can't always control the angle. Uh, you know, it may be in an area where in some instances, you really have to turn around and go the same direction that you came. But when you turn around, one, you very much demonstrate to them that, hey, I'm leaving. And if necessary, you need to stay back and keep an eye on them so that you don't leave your exposed back there to where you can, you know, you're just, I say, I say it's exposed. What I mean is you've turned your back to them and you can't see what they're doing. So just rapid movement. And so what we did were drills where either one person or actually two persons in harmony would move in on the student. And their response was to start moving off at an angle, moving a little bit more rapidly than they are and start interacting with them verbally. And a lot of times what that does, it either gives uh, those persons a cause to break off or, like I said, strips the ambiguity from the situation. And then you're prepared to go to a higher level of force if need be. Right. I like that. that the the angular movement, that's, uh, that is something that I think the LEOs are just it's almost ingrained. We're, we're not going to back up. We're going to move to the no, side we're gonna, or, or we're going to close the gap. That's the, well, you hear that thing, stand your ground. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not standing my ground unless I'm forced to stand <laughs> my ground. And I have actually used that successfully as a civilian on uh, multiple occasions uh, over the years. I actually used it before I ever heard of Craig Douglas when someone was moving in on me to start moving off sharply at an angle. And it was uh, I, I took note of the number of times that basically that just that just ended the encounter right there. Yeah. Sometimes even making eye contact with somebody that has that questionable intent can can change their can change their motive pretty quickly. If I agree, I, I think that's something that's real valuable. And, it, you know, in, in our society, people walk around with their head in their iPhone a lot and sometimes just making eye contact and letting somebody know I'm aware that you're there. And I saw you, I could identify you. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and we can, <laughs> that's one thing. Go ahead. Go through the, through the escalation system there. If, if need be, or, you know, I can make a hasty tactical retreat, but if I don't have the, if I don't have the visual awareness that somebody has an intent, it, it's like kind of all for not. Well, one of the things that I talked about in our class was the uh, the value in making momentary eye contact or at least looking in the general direction of someone that is approaching you or in near proximity. And uh, a lot of times that's uncomfortable for some females. 
Uh, I suppose it's because uh, they don't want to necessarily encourage contact between themselves and someone that they don't know and don't want to know. And just, you know, just that quick look up and then look away and keep going uh, works great. And, you know, persons that are afraid of, well, if I do that too aggressively, you know, I might actually cause that person to become, you know, uh, enraged with me. Uh, then if you do, you make that long contact, uh, they start to look at you and say, hey, man, how you doing? Or just give them a quick nod and then just go ahead. And for the most part, uh, their intent is likely to be benign. If it is indeed benign, then probably that situation's resolved. Well, is this going to be a, uh, a piece of coursework that Palisade Training Group is going to offer on the regular? I this- uh, appreciate your asking that. Absolutely. We're going to teach that class in uh, November at the uh, CCWC 5.0 range. Oh, okay. It'll be an eight-hour version of the same uh, with a, uh, a lot more shooting, and uh, we'll have enough time to do more than just say, uh, hey, we show you how to do this. This is how you do it. Now we've got to go on to something else. We'll actually let students get in enough reps that they can get it right, uh, they can get that correction, uh, and then they can leave knowing how to do it and all they have to do at that particular time is just continue to, you know, practice because, you know, we just don't make that a part of our uh, unconscious or subconscious nature by doing a few reps, then going, okay, I'm ready to take on the world. So absolutely. The answer is yes, we're doing that in November. Well, you'll have to send me the dates because November, I I think I've got a weekend at Gunsight coming up. So uh, going out there, I, I believe it's November 16th. I believe it's November 16th. So hopefully your weekend's open. Love to have you out there. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I'll have to double check. Uh, I'm going to that, uh, you know, the annual Pat Rogers Memorial revolver roundup. Oh, gunsight two fifty. I believe it is the same weekend. Yeah, it may be. I actually believe it is. But, uh, but yeah, the CCW safe facility out there, that's a, a gorgeous facility and lots of space to do that in oh my god great classroom great range you know uh close i think it's like what is it maybe 30 minutes from uh will rogers airport yeah 30 minutes from the airport location 45 Mm -hmm. minutes from downtown really really neat facility uh (laughs) it was actually on my backup plan for the uh guardian guardian conference for if we ended up losing a, a night fire range again but uh, it would have been a, a haul from the gun club, but uh, it oh would, yeah, it, it would have been. It was on the list, but but yeah, really interesting. I got some good feedback from uh, one of one of the students. EDC Belt Company kind of put a secret shopper in the Guardian Conference to to really get our uh, our bearings to how everything was running real smooth, and and he I told him to sign up for your class because i he's got the whole mechanics of the pistol thing down now it's time to do a little thinking and um (laughs) and he that one of the things he said was man that was really eye-opening and you know he's he's a little older than me and and uh he was just impressed with a lot of the considerations that he'd you know being a new member of of the armed community he he was pretty uh enlightened by the way that uh you guys taught that block and you know given given him more tools than just okay we 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 pull out a gun now that's and uh he said he really enjoyed the live fire portion so 
That was... Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things that was uh, kind of an initial motivation for putting this class together was uh, talking to uh, Kyle Sweet of uh, CCW Safe and FTA regarding the uh, some of the cases that CCW Safe has, uh, you know, members have been involved in. And a lot of it uh, has been uh, for brandishing. And, uh, you know, we have members that where they're confronted in a situation, they don't know what else to do. They're scared. They may not be able to put a finger on why they're scared, but they know they are, there are. And uh, that instant default to a handgun has caused some of them uh, some grief. So the thing that we wanted to accomplish in this particular class is give you a lot of reasons to not preemptively brandish that weapon and understand that when you were when you actually would be justified in uh, displaying that weapon and how to do that in such a manner that's less likely that you'd be charged with a with, with a crime. You know, so many people when they draw a gun, uh, they simply draw that gun and uh, all they know is they're scared and they point it right at the other person. And of course, if you don't have good cause to do that, or if it's their word against yours, or if there's video. Uh, it can go very poorly for you. And so if you're in a position where you've tried to do everything that you could to avoid a confrontation like that, you can, you know, justify why I pulled that. Okay, those persons, they had the ability, they had the opportunity, uh, they were manifesting the intent, uh, the threat was imminent, and there was nothing else that I could do. And I drew my handgun after warning them and then pointed it towards the ground in low ready, or alternatively, if you're around children, you know, up high and high ready and order them to stay back, the chances are that you're going to be charged with a crime. Or if you are successfully defended, uh, I, I think they could be managed much better by just being able to you know, do those things. Right. Something else that, you know, when you get into the armed populace away from uh, when you when you take on the responsibility of carrying a firearm and you're you're in engaged in being your own personal protection detail or your, you know, your, your own Batman there. Uh, <laughs> the laws are very, very, uh, I would say they're kind of ambiguous on the brandishing side and it's, you know, you just taking the gun out of the holster or even exposing it and saying the wrong words can get you, uh, in quite a bit of trouble. If you're, you know, if the situation doesn't warrant that, uh, it's something to be very cautious about. Well, one of the things that we tried to do in this particular class was uh, in the event, uh, we wanted the students to be able to delay uh, presenting a weapon as long as possible. But if they actually delayed a little bit too long, uh, then give them some tools and skills and information that would allow them to regain the, you know, the initiative. And so we did some work on that, uh, on, you know, defensive display, managing, you know, encroaching contacts. And then also uh, the person got too close and uh, threw a punch at you. Uh, we showed them, uh, you know, the, uh, the Craig Douglas 
uh, Cecil Birch way of, you know, default cover, you know, how to survive that uh, and then escape from entanglement. Just a few repetitions to say, hey, this is available. You're not necessarily going to die here. You can get away or if even if you stay entangled, if you're trained, you can use a handgun or perhaps an edged weapon to, you know, defend yourself. Uh, we also showed them, you know, uh, how to use uh, OC. Well, I say that we expose them to uh, the use of OC and how to actually, you know, use it to deal with another person, completely defaulting to uh, Chuck Haggard into how to use it. We just said, hey, this is, you know, here's a good brand. Uh, we've taken the, you know, Chuck Haggard uh, instructor course. Uh, we recommend that you open up your horizons, get some OC and, you know, train under under Chuck. And then we finally went on to some stuff, uh, Brian, where uh, the students would actually uh, learn how to move offline while, you know, drawing their handgun. Uh, if the distance was close with the understanding that if you've got a slow draw, that really doesn't buy you anything. And we taught them just how to run, you know, basically how to run until such point that you could either run away, you could get behind cover. It's actually probably easier to find cover in transitional areas than it is in many homes or, just long enough to get your hand on the pistol grip and then plant your feet and stop and engage. And so that was kind of our goal was to kind of open up your eyes as to what the threat areas are, how to perhaps deal with threats better, uh, what you might do in order to, you know, minimize the chances you're charged with uh, brandishing. And if you're forced to use a handgun, maybe do it in such a manner that catches the other person, you know, by surprise momentarily. And if you do your part, uh, you're still in the fight and you can still, you can still win and survive. Strangely enough, when, uh, when our buddy signed up for the courses, I, I made sure that he signed up for Chuck Haggard's class first. Awesome. <laughs> so awesome. I, I laid out the progression and he said, he said, when he went to you guys block, he was like, well, it made a, it, it just added a lot more of the, um, contextual aspect of it. So, of deploying pepper oh, we spray that. and uh we appreciate that it's funny after talking to chuck i've never been a big uh real big on like armed citizens carrying pepper spray and i, I it i guess just from cross-contamination of being a cop and uh you know understanding that if i spray you we get sprayed a lot of time <laughs> people not being prepared for what that's like you know, I encourage everybody if you uh, if you are going to carry pepper spray, go to you know go to a good pepper spray course and uh, actually you know get get a dose of that and just uh, you know teach yourself that you can fight through the 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 discomfort of being being sprayed. So, uh, but now I've taken to uh, carrying a small you know a small pepper pepper spray canister when I'm even when I'm off work and the area I live uh, I actually have a lot more <laughs> encounters with stray dogs than uh, stray dogs. than stray people so you know yes. it's it's a good tool to at least know hey I don't I don't necessarily have to endanger the public with gunfire here uh, it's just an extra tool in the toolbox and I've up until recently I, I haven't really ever done that just because the, the old cop thing, man, if I, if I spray somebody, we're all getting, we're all getting it. Uh, it's just, 
and I, I've known cops that we get into a situation and the, the spray comes out and they get their distance quick because they don't want to, you know, get that on them and get in, in their clothes and deal with the snots and everything else. But well, well any, you know, I was very much the same ahead. way. And a large part of it was because of just kind of the, you know, the fogging mm-hmm. uh, stream, if you would, that we all carried because you want to make sure that you've got everybody, which means, OK, I'm probably going to get my partner. I'm going to probably walk through. And uh, I resisted it. Uh, I changed my mind a couple of years ago when I saw people being assaulted, if you would, verbally assaulted by, you know, golly, these little, you know, people with I mean, they're they're they don't look like much. You know, they're masked and they're in your face. And you're like, oh, man, you get a bunch of those people. I don't want to lay hands on them. And you know what? With If there's enough of them. Uh, even as wimpy as they look, they may very well drag me down. I'm like going, I need to rethink, you know, this OC thing, because I'd much rather use OC as opposed to my hands, especially, you know, maybe against uh, a female. And then once I kind of got into this more and I found out that basically, you know, some of the preferred brands of OC like Palm, it's really much more like a, uh, a squirt gun. The, the stream is such, and it's actually, you have to be somewhat surgical to hit the person that you're shooting at or you will miss. And so we actually had them spray each other with the uh, palm, you know, trainer. And it was kind of eye opening when they saw a, uh, how difficult it was in order to land that stuff. And then uh, also, you know, then they say sometimes, did you get me? And then they take off their glasses their protective glasses and see the drop. It's like, Oh, it's yeah. not nearly as uh, an oppressive a weapon uh, as I thought it was. Right. Well, what else you got on the horizons? That's I think we've uh, we've covered all the good stuff at this point. So what's uh, what's uh, well, on the horizon that. for for Palisade well, we're training? Coming up to yeah, we're coming up to the five uh, zero range uh, in October to do our practical uh, carry skills class. Uh, followed by our defensive shotgun class in November. Uh, we're doing the uh, managing uh, potential threats in transitional area class that I mentioned, and another one that's uh, contact distance defensive skills. It has a shooting element to it. Uh, I'm being uh, my, my co-owners of Palisade Training Group are Alan McBee and uh, Guy Schnitzler. Uh, Alan is very instrumental uh, in the class that one we taught and also almost every class we do, and a lot of people don't know who Guy is, but uh, Guy works for Homeland Security. Uh, I hate, I'm probably going to not say exactly what his role is, uh, but he is a federal law enforcement officer. Uh, he's also approved by Cecil Birch to teach all of the immediate action combatives uh, classes. Uh, he's a uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And so he's going to be the primary instructor of our contact distance defensive skills class. So we do have that going. And then later in November, uh, we're teaching a carry revolver class in uh, Longview. And then I'm having some surgery in November to uh, address kind of a lingering problem I've had with my wrist. It's probably going to take me out of action for about four months. And then once we kind of make sure that that turns out good, we'll get our spring calendar up. Thanks for coming on again, Steve. That was a, a very uh, in, enlightening conversation, considering that all I got to see of your class this weekend was just I would walk past it on my way to either go to lunch well, or, or the I, belt company. So, Brian, I was actually disappointed in that uh, I didn't realize 
that I was going to be uh, training as much as I as I actually turned out to be. I'm sure you probably you know found out the same to be true. We had a couple of people that were not able to show up, and so uh, we filled those up because your class was absolutely on my list of classes to take. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm intrigued enough that I will probably come up and do a private with you because. Uh, I've changed a lot of things that I've done listening to you on your podcast, your discussions with uh, Spencer and Lee Weems in terms of how I teach grip. And I really kind of wanted to, you know, be in the hands of the mentor for about four hours. And I just was unable to. So that was a class I really uh, uh, regret not being able to take while I was there. I appreciate it. It was uh, it was a full weekend and uh, four, you know, I got two blocks Friday and two blocks Sunday and that Saturday it was set in the shade and hydrate day. So I, I ended up, uh, you know, and, and running a couple of other taskings that I had, but, uh, but yeah, it ended up being a full plate. Uh, you know, we had, we had a couple of instructors that got ill and had to drop out and, and, uh, you know, those things happen and, everybody else stepped up and really, uh, really made it a great conference. And so I'm excited about next year. I'm really excited about next year. You know, now that they kind of have that first year under their belt, mm-hmm. uh, know kind of what the venue looks like, uh, man, I think it's going to be outstanding. And I have been invited, uh, to come back. I was kind of sweating that, but I've been <laughs> invited to come back. So I will be there and I'm going to do what I can in order to take advantage of some of the classes taught by some of the instructors there, because with you and some of the other guys, I was like going, Oh my God, that is a who's who's of instructors. All right. Thanks to my guest, Steve Moses talking, managing transitional areas, managing potential threats in transitional areas. Some good food for thought there. And uh, if you missed it at the guardian conference, I'll probably be there next year and check it out at Palisade training group. Reminder, today's show was brought to you by Excess Sites, title sponsor of the podcast. Go check them out at Excess Sites. CCW Safe, get 10% off your membership at checkout with code OFFDUTY10. EDC Belt Company, go check out edcbeltco.com and get yourself a foundation belt. And the Concealed Carry Podcast giveaway. Remember, Brian won himself... uh, box of dummy rounds box of dummy ammo good stuff for training as always if you have it go subscribe on spotify google play apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts we're on all the major platforms again i'm your host brian eastridge the off-duty on-duty podcast is a production of eastridge training and consulting llc Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.